Hello and welcome to another episode of Mr. Sorensen's Weekly World History Podcast. It has been a busy week podcasting and in social studies class this week. Um, we're going to go back a little bit because um, we didn't have a quiz last week. So um, we'll start by talking about the difference between patricians and plebeians. Remember, the patricians were the wealthy landowners. They had the old family names. Um could trace their roots back to uh, beginning of the Roman um, beginning of Rome, and um, they were they wore togas. Remember, the patricians are the only ones that could hold a public office in early Rome. The senators were patricians. Um, all the key positions pretty much were patricians. Remember, if they if they weren't a patrician and they weren't a slave, they were plebeian. So plebeians could be farmers, they could be owned businesses, um, artisans, shopkeepers. Um, they were citizens, but they couldn't hold public office. So they are going to have the right to vote in early in the early Roman Republic, but they're not going to be able to vote for themselves. They have to vote for patricians, and they mostly wore tunics. And remember, people from the same uh, from different social classes, could not marry each other. So a patrician couldn't marry a plebeian and vice versa, or a plebeian couldn't marry a patrician. So next we'll focus on the Roman government. Uh, after Rome gets rid of its king, um, they start a government called the Republic. And a Republic is a type of government in which the citizens vote for representatives who vote for laws, like us. So, um, Compare that to a democracy like in Athens where the people voted for every law. And that would take forever So, in, in such a big society. So it is going to be, uh, we'll vote, like today we vote for people in the United States called congressmen who make the laws for us. Uh, remember, the plebeians did get some rights from the patricians after they um, protested. Um the plebeians walked out of the city of Rome and said they wouldn't come back unless they got some rights. So one of the things they got is the patricians agreed to write down the basic laws on big tablets in the forum, the big meeting place in Rome. And those are going to be called the 12 tables. That way the plebeians knew the laws and they couldn't just be changed on them um, without them knowing. So, looking at the structure of the Roman government, the Roman Republic, uh, it had three branches, just like ours. Uh, the executive branch had two consuls who were patricians. They were kind of like their presidents, um, but they had two of them. They were in charge of the government. They ran the government. They headed the military, and uh, remember, they only served for one year. So, they limited their term in office so that... Nobody could get too much power. The Romans were scared of somebody becoming a king. Um, and so uh, they only served for one year, and then they couldn't run again for 10 years. So this is, uh, again, the valid, very wealthy patricians. And these guys were kind of like their president, but they had two of them, which can be a problem if they disagree with each other. Uh, the next branch is the legislative branch. And there were two groups in the legislative branch. Uh, the Senate, who is by far the most powerful group in the Roman Republic. These were all the patricians. The, they were made up of 300 patricians. And they um, proposed laws, uh, declared war, approved building programs. And um, 
they were usually the consuls would come from the Senate. Um, and so this is a very powerful group. Uh, one of the other things the plebeians got was the Assembly of Centuries, which was made up of about 197 plebeians. And they elected some important officials. Um, they would be the ones that chose the praetors, which we'll talk about in a moment, and the consuls, but then they couldn't actually be one of them. Only patricians could be them. Um, the judicial branch, the judges branch, uh, were the praetors. And in the United States, we have the Supreme Court. Uh, they interpret laws and served as judges, and they served for only two years. Um, there's some problems with the Roman Republic, though. There's some things that they didn't take care of that they probably should have. Um, one of the things that kept on happening is Rome is gaining more territory um, through uh, wars like the Punic Wars, where they fought Carthage for control over trade in the Mediterranean Sea. Um one of the things that they had trouble with is um, Rome gained. The more slaves they got, and then the rich people would get take these slaves, and they would have them work their farm, their big farms called Latifundia, and. Um, Plebeians were working that those jobs, and then they're going to totally lose their jobs. And these guys didn't have much money anyway, um, because the farmers are going to these big farm owners are going to have slaves doing the work, so they don't have to pay somebody. Um, so the patricians are getting wealthier because they're not having to pay people to work their farms, and the um, plebeians are getting poorer because they're losing their jobs. And these uh, plebeians would leave the farms because they lost their jobs and they would head to the city. And so um, some people had to try to figure out a way. They want to try to figure out a way to make it where the plebeians could find work. Um, and so uh, two guys in particular, Tiberius and Gaius Gracchus, who were patricians, um, they actually cared about the plebeians and tried to help them. Uh, one of the things they wanted to do is take some of the public land, land that was owned by the Republic, and split it up in, amongst the plebeians so that they could have a small plot of land so they could support their family. Uh, the patricians don't want to give up that land. In fact, they want it for themselves. Um, and um, so both Tiberius and guys, Gracchus, are murdered. Uh, that's how far patricians were willing to go to stop the changes. Um, the patricians don't want to give up the land. They don't want to help the plebeians. They want to keep it all for themselves. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Another problem that ends up happening is has to do with the Roman army. Is that at this time of the Roman Republic in around 500 BC, um, almost anybody who was wealthy enough could have their own army. And what would happen is um, a person would buy or pay for and trade their own army. And then the Senate would ask that person to use their army to go fight Rome's battles. And so the army is not going to be loyal to the um, Senate. They're going to be loyal to the general who's paying them. And this really comes up when uh, you get to Marius and Sulla. Uh, Marius uh, seems to be, have been a, 
one of those guys that was going to help the plebeians. But um, when uh, the Senate asks Marius to take care of a problem, Sulla doesn't like it. Sulla feels like the Senate should have asked him. So Sulla decides to march his army towards Rome, threatening to take it and by force. And uh, Marius comes back to try to stop him, but Sulla beats Marius. And so um, anytime you have wealthy people that can own their own army, if they disagree with each other, it's not just a fight, it's a war. So that's going to be Rome's first civil war between Marius and Sulla. And Sulla does everything he can to strengthen the power of the patricians and weaken the plebeians. Um, so he's going to become a dictator and he's going to have total power. Um, so everything that the Senate is trying to do, uh, it's basically because Sulla told them to, uh, and he, and the plebeians after Sulla leaves office is not going to be any better off than they were before the Gracchi brothers started. Uh, then we get to, so those are glaring problems with the Republic, uh, and they are going to definitely rear their heads here. Um, later on, uh, after Sulla dies, there's going to be three men that are going to kind of want to be in charge in Rome. Uh, Pompey, also called Pompey Magnus or Pompey the Great, he was a brilliant military commander, one of the best Rome had ever had at that point. And um, he was in a good position, wealthy, to take charge. Uh, we have Crassus, who was the wealthiest man in Rome. So he had tons of money, but he didn't have any military experience. And then you have Julius Caesar, who was a... Um, he came from an old patrician family, the Julii family. They believed that they could trace their roots back to the goddess Venus, uh, the goddess of love and beauty. Um, and so that's really all he had, though, was his name. And the fact that they were all patricians, but Julius Caesar was one of the oldest of the patrician families he supposedly came from. And um, he, his family didn't have a whole lot of money because they had made some bad business decisions. And so by the time he comes around, he is, that's all he really has is his name. Uh, Pompey and Crassus, um, they, Crassus wants military experience. And Pompey's about done doing military because he has been doing it for a while. Um, but they decide they want to include Julius Caesar in an agreement because uh, if it's two people in an agreement, if there's a disagreement, you're going to have another civil war between those two. But if there's three people in the agreement, um, if one person steps out of line, the other two are there to help. And so they include Julius Caesar in their um, agreement called a triumvirate. It's the first triumvirate between Julius Caesar, Crassus, and Pompey. Uh, remember, um, tri means three, and triumvirate is a political alliance between three people. Um, Crass, they, they split up the territory so that they're not all right on top of each other. So Pompey stays in Italy, and he takes care of Italy and Spain, so he stays in Rome and is kind of leading Rome itself. Crassus goes to what's now Syria, Mesopotamia, 
And Julius Caesar is given the northern area in Gaul, which is uh, today Switzerland and France. And um, Caesar doesn't have an army, though. And Crassus and Caesar are both given territories that Rome doesn't own at the time, but wants to. Uh, Caesar uses the only thing he has to hopefully get an army. He says to Pompey, hey, you're not really using your army. Uh, and I realize your wife had just died not too long before this. So I will allow you to marry my daughter, Julia. Well, Julia's probably early 20s, Pompey's 40s, 50s. Um, this wasn't a marriage about love. Usually when um, these important, powerful people get married in almost every civilization, there's a marriage that goes along with it that kind of seals the guys together, seals everybody together. Um, and so it makes them related. So Pompey agrees. And um, so Caesar takes his army and he heads off to Gaul. And um, Crassus dies in battle. So our triumvirate is going to be no more. Uh, Crassus dies in 53 BC. Um, Caesar, while he's in Gaul, he proves to be the best of all of them, military commander-wise. Um, he is constantly outnumbered in Gaul, um, yet he somehow wins. Uh, and he's sending food and treasure back to the plebeians. So the plebeians love him. They see him as a hero. Um but one thing to keep in mind is while Caesar's in Gaul, um, he's there for eight years and he killed him and his men kill over 1 million Gauls while they're there. 1 million people who were just defending their homes. Uh, so Caesar is, gets a message while he's in Gaul, uh, after being there eight years, uh, he, uh, gets a message and some tragic news. He gets a message that his, um, Daughter Julia, who did genuinely grow to love Pompey, um, died in childbirth. And that Caesar's grandson died also. Um, this hits him hard, and it especially hits Pompey hard. Pompey loved Julia, and so now he's lost his child and his wife. But Caesar and Pompey have lost that connection, too. Um their love for Julia kept them from fighting each other. Um, with that done, um, the Senate is getting nervous about Caesar. He's growing more and more powerful, and he's um, not listening to him. They're telling him to come home. He's saying, no, huh, I've got more territory to take. I want to take more and more and more. Um, so finally, they get fed up, and um, Caesar has two choices. He can either come home by himself without his army, and he'd probably be put on trial for for like not listening to the Senate, and probably be convicted and possibly executed, or he can go home with his army. So he goes to his army, and he says, hey, we've been fighting together for eight years, Um I'll do what you want to do. If you want me to go back by myself, I'll do it. If not, uh, you know, let's all go back together and fight for all this stuff we've been fighting for. Caesar's men loved him. He slept in the same conditions they did and ate the horrible food they ate. Uh, and he wasn't one of those commanders that sat back and watched a battle. He was in there in the middle with, with them. Uh, his army agrees. Um, the Senate gives Pompey command of... Um, 
an army, his armies that were in Spain. And they give him power to take care of Caesar. And uh, Caesar starts marching back towards Rome. His army's a well-oiled machine. They've been fighting together for eight years. And so it takes them way less time than Pompey anticipated to get back. Um, And so Pompey isn't able to get his army together in time. And so he um, he, uh, decides that him and his supporters in the Senate are going to leave Rome and escape and go to Greece and then hopefully get their armies together there and then they can come back to get Caesar. So when Caesar arrives in the gates of Rome, uh, they're open and it's kind of like a parade because the rich people are all cheering or the plebeians are all cheering for him and excited him. There's no fight. Um, the only senators left are the ones that were his friends. Uh, and he can't, he can't stay in Rome very long because he knows that if he gives them a chance, there isn't going to be much opportunity. Um, uh, there, Pompey's a brilliant commander, so he's going to be able to fight. So uh, he's in, he's not in Rome for very long. Uh, he gets to see his wife Calpurnia that he hadn't seen in eight years, uh, and he has to take off with his army and head to Greece. Well, uh, because they didn't give Pompey and his supporters enough time to get set up, um, they fight at the Battle of Pharsalus in Greece. And it's not even really a battle. Caesar's troops easily defeat Pompey and his troops. And he uh, Caesar catches a lot of senators. And um, he does his odd thing with these enemies. He just lets them go. He says, just promise not to do this again, and I'll let you go back and be senators again. That might come up back to haunt him. Um, Pompey escapes, though, and he heads towards Egypt. Uh, Egypt's in an interesting situation. It's kind of it's ruled technically by two people, two pharaohs at the time, um, Cleopatra the seventh, who was about eighteen years old, and uh, her brother Ptolemy, who's about twelve. So he's not actually Ptolemy's not actually running things. He has an advisor um, called a regent, and his name's Bibulus. And Bibulus wants to run things and doesn't want 18-year-old Cleopatra in the way. So he puts her under house arrest where she can't leave home. Uh, when Caesar arrives, he's greeted by Bibulus when he arrives. he doesn't. Caesar doesn't bring his army with him. Well, Caesar has to go to Egypt because he finds out where Pompey is. But he doesn't bring his army with him because Pompey doesn't have an army with him. He escapes on his own. And when he arrives, he's given two gifts by Bibulus. He's given a ring, and Caesar looks at the ring, and he sees that it is Pompey's ring. So he's thinking, well, I guess Pompey's here, so they caught him, so I don't you know, have to go looking for him. Uh, then they hand him a basket, and in the basket, Caesar lifts the lid, and he sees that it is Pompey's head. Bibulus killed Pompey, hoping to get favor with Caesar, help hopefully to get his support. Uh, It has the exact opposite effect. Caesar is angry. He does not, he did not want Pompey dead because he knew that the plebeians loved him and that the patricians loved him and that he, Caesar, even though he had nothing to do with his death, it would get blamed for it anyway. So, um, Caesar stays in Egypt for a while because He's kind of broke from all this fighting. 
and um, Egypt is very wealthy. And um, so the story goes that as he's sitting in a palace that he's staying in, uh, some servants come carrying a rolled up rug and they set the rug on the ground and they leave. And once they leave, the rug unrolls and in it is Cleopatra. Uh, Cleopatra gets a bad reputation in history um, because she kind of does what she has to do to uh, protect Egypt and herself. Um, and uh, Cleopatra needs help. And the most powerful man in the world probably at the time, Julius Caesar, was sitting right there. So Cleopatra and Julius Caesar become friends. And they become such good friends that they have a child together, Caesarian. Remember, um, Caesar's married. And he openly is having an affair with Cleopatra. Uh, so that's going to be something that people in Rome are going to be talking about. Caesar realizes that if he's going to be in charge of Rome, he kind of has to be in Rome. So he heads home. And he brings his girlfriend, Cleopatra, and Caesarian with, her, with him. Uh, when he gets back to Rome, the Senate declares him dictator for life. Um, in 44 BC. And um, so he is going to do, do a bunch of things to help the plebeians and take away power from the Senate. Um, he's going to grant citizenship to people in the Roman lands outside of Italy. So all this land Rome had gained, those people weren't citizens, and Caesar decides to make them citizens. This is going to make them very loyal to him, personally. Uh, he freed up land so that the plebeians had a place to farm, which is exactly what Gaius and Tiberius Gracchus tried to do. And he's going to require these big landowners to hire plebeians to work the fields uh, so that plebeians would have jobs. Ones that didn't get land would have jobs. Uh, that's all designed to help the plebeians. And as we said, the patricians aren't interested in helping the plebeians. Another thing he did was he create has created a um, calendar system that we still use today. In fact, one of the months of the year is named after him, July. Um, so He's making a lot of enemies in the patricians. And since he has put his friends in the Senate, um, he's basically telling them what to do, and they're just doing it. And so a um, couple of senators, Brutus and Cassius in particular, and Brutus, um, Caesar was pretty close to Brutus because Brutus was, um, uh, his father died when he was young, and Caesar kind of um, treated him like a son. Uh he um, decides, Brutus and Cassius decide that they want to save the Republic. And how they can save the Republic, they believe, is by killing Caesar. And so, on March 15th, 44 BC, the Ides of March, beware of the Ides of March, beware of the middle of March, um, Caesar is stabbed on, in the Senate. And... Uh, 60 people were involved in the conspiracy to kill Caesar, but he was stabbed 23 times. And Shakespeare makes a pretty famous uh, version, which um, 
in his play, The Tragedy of Julius Caesar, that has ended up becoming what people think of as um, how it really happened. But, you know, uh, Shakespeare was trying to sell tickets, not um, be historically accurate. But the way he describes is, is that Caesar, um, the last person to stab Caesar was Brutus. And uh, Caesar supposedly looks at him and says in Latin, et tu Brute, and you Brutus. Uh, well, we think that it may not. He may not have said that. Most people think his last words were something to the effect of "You too, my child." Like this hurt him. Brutus stabbing him hurt him worse than anybody stabbing him. Um, so Caesar dies, and when he dies, um, the people who killed him were trying to save the republic, and they kill him because they're worried that he was getting too powerful. And uh, these people, um, they didn't have any plan of what to do after Caesar died. So when Caesar dies, all these senators have to get out of town because they're worried what the plebeians are going to do when they find out. And so they all leave town. And when they leave town, um, there's nobody to take charge. So um, Caesar's uh, best friend and uh, good, one of his one of his generals, Mark Antony takes charge. Um, Mark Antony uh, wasn't a great leader. But he had the experience at the time, so he steps into the role of being in charge. Uh, but things are going to get complicated when Caesar's will is read out loud. Because when his will is read, Caesar has left all of his fortune to his grandnephew Octavian. Octavian, who's probably uh, 18, 19 at the time. Uh, I have a feeling Caesar thought that he would have more time to work with him and kind of get him ready to be in charge at some point. Uh, but, you know, Caesar dying kind of ruins that. Um, and everyone thought it was going to be left to Mark Antony because he didn't have a Roman son. So um, Mark Antony is not happy. But Caesar goes a step further. He actually adopts Octavian in his will. So Octavian becomes his son, technically, legally. And uh, Octavian's going to use that to get the support of plebeians. Um, he's going to say, my father did this for you. My father did that. Um, and so um, Caesar is not a king, technically. He had the power pretty much of a king, and that was kind of his way of passing power down through his family uh, to his son because he adopts Octavian. And so um, Mark Antony isn't just going to give it up like that. He, we're not quite at a fight, but Octavian is going to, um, Octavian and Mark Antony are going to have a common enemy at first. They are going to try to hunt down Caesar's killers and um, avenge Caesar's death. And within three years, every one of the people that stab Caesar will themselves be stabbed. Oh, they will die. Um, some of them by their own hand through suicide. Some of them, um, will be killed by Octavian and Mark Antony's men. Um, Cleopatra, when Caesar's dead, she takes off back to Egypt where things were safer for her. Uh, and in next week's podcast, we will discuss the second triumvirate and what happened with Mark Antony and Octavian. Uh, if you listen to my special episode uh, with the breaking news on Caesar's death, um, 
I said there is a chance for extra credit. So again, a reminder, if you on your bubble sheet tomorrow, on the very bottom where it's all blank, if you write the phrase Ides of March, I-D-E-S of March, O-F-M-A-R-C-H, Ides of March. If you write that on your paper, you'll get a five-point bonus on your quiz. Do not share this information with anybody. Keep this to yourself so that you get the points and they don't. Because I'm testing to see what, how far-reaching the podcast is and how many people are listening to it. Well, I hope you learned something. Um, yeah, have a good week, and um, I'll talk to you next week.